story goes, Zacchaeus hears that this guy Jesus is pretty compelling. And he wants to see him. He's heard that he's, he, rumor is he might be the Messiah. Evidently, Zacchaeus has probably heard. It seems like he's claiming to be the ancient prophetic, the coming of the Messiah. Like this is big, big news amongst the Jewish people. So Bible says he, he probably sees the dust cloud in the distance, Jesus traveling, everyone following him. So he, he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. He runs ahead and he climbs a tree. See, when you feel less than, when you feel like you don't measure up, what you do is you go to working harder and trying to be better and you run ahead. You got to get ahead of the Joneses. You got to get ahead of your coworkers. You got to get ahead. And, and if you can get ahead in life, then you maybe you can make up the difference for the fact that you don't measure up and you're not smart enough and you're not sharp enough. And so like Zacchaeus, we, we run ahead. We got to get ahead. The goal of life is to get ahead. The goal of life is to be the, have the most money, have the most toys, have the most renown, have the most fun. So we got to get ahead. So he, he runs ahead and, and he climbs a tree. He runs ahead and he climbs a tree. He runs ahead and he climbs a tree. He runs ahead and he climbs a tree to see Jesus. The Bible says Jesus stops at the place. He looks up and Jesus, the only time I can find Jesus saying this, he says, hurry. Now, if I told you that there is a place in the Bible where Jesus told someone to hurry, I bet most of you, if you know your New Testament, you'd be like, no, Jesus is not in a hurry, right? I mean, you've heard preachers like me, like God's never in a hurry. And that's a really good point, except right here. Hurry and come down the tree. By the way, Jesus will climb a tree for us so we don't have to. He said, hurry. I'll tell you one thing God wants you to hurry about. You want to know what it is? The one thing God wants you to be in a rush to stop doing, and that is striving, stressing, taking matters into your own hands, trying to save yourself and make up the difference within yourself for your own shortage. Hurry away from that stressed straining, anxious lifestyle. Jesus says, hurry, Zacchaeus, down the tree. Don't spend another day of your life trusting your own deeds and your own attempts at goodness and your own attempts to make up the difference in the shortage within your own soul. Hurry, 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 hurry. I must come to your house. Listen to the language. I must. It was, it was always God's plan. I, I must. Uh, by, by the way, Zacchaeus thinks that Jesus is going to his house because he climbed a tree. What he doesn't understand is Jesus is going to his house because Jesus is going to climb a tree. Yeah. I want to I serve notice. You think your success is because of the trees you've climbed. It is not. It's because he climbed a tree. And for that, you can still breathe oxygen. For the wages of sin is death. People are like, what is grace? Uh, that you're still breathing three seconds later. That's grace. You're sitting in it right now. That's grace. What's grace? The day you were born. Did you choose it? That's grace. Let's practice grace again. Let's see if we can... Four seconds, your heart's still beating. That's grace. It's all around you. It's nonstop. But all the arrogance of our self-sufficient flesh. 
that tells us this body, they, they, took, they took my appendix and we don't even know why it was there. You still have one and I don't know why. And I don't, I don't know why I'm okay with that. It's called grace. This life is much more a mystery than it's not. And yet we sit in auditoriums like this and we pretend to be the captain of our ship. We pretend to be the one with the steering wheel. Are you kidding yourself? Your whole life is grace. What color are your eyes? Did you check that box before you were born? I want brown eyes. It's all grace. Before you arrived, you were fearfully and wonderfully put together by the hands of the architect of the ages and the creator of heaven and earth. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a walking, talking miracle. You are a trophy of grace, whether you believe in God or not. And yet, we tell ourselves, it's the trees I've climbed. And then we write books about the trees we've climbed. And then we post podcasts about the trees we climbed. And we tell everybody, if you climb the tree I climbed, you can get the same results I get. Except I've met Bobby Wagner, and I know that's not true. Bobby Wagner, I'd like to say, is a dear friend of mine. He wears number 54 for the Seattle Seahawks. I'd like to think no one else will wear 54 ever again because of Bobby Wagner. If you've ever witnessed Bobby Wagner or have ever had the privilege of hugging Bobby Wagner, here's what I guarantee. You hug Bobby Wagner one time and you'll never forget. You hug me, it goes like this. You hug Bobby Wagner, it's like... I'm going to tell you a funny story. My wife hugged Bobby Wagner. We drove home later from the game. She said, wow, Bobby's got a lot of muscles. I said, watch it. Hold on, man. Hold on. I said, hold on. Text Bobby, don't you ever hug my wife again. No, you know, but like, are we all going to sit here? Are you going to teach me that if I climb the same trees Bobby Wagner climbs, that I'm going to do what Bobby Wagner? It's called the law of your members. And my members are quite different from Bobby. I do not, like, you can pump me full of steroids. It's still not going to be the same. So no, the American dream is not what you think it is. It's not about all the trees you climb to control your destiny and manipulate the outcome and dictate and determine who you're going to be and what you're going to do. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. Not true, not true, not true, not true, not true, not true. And I love this country, but not true. And the Bible reveals that. You've been designed and predestined and purposed and wired a certain way. And it's wonderful and beautiful and it's full of grace and gift, but but we're here to celebrate not the trees you should climb. We're here to celebrate the tree Jesus climbed. And how that changes everything. Hurry, come on down, Zacchaeus. I got to go to your house. Now, here's what I love. Between verses 11 and 12, we are not told the details of the brunch or the lunch 
or the dinner that they partake. But from best we can tell, history records, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' home. I don't know how long it took. I don't know how many hours he was there. I don't know exactly what happened. And I think the reason Dr. Luke does not give us the details of what actually happened is because we would turn it into a formula. And it's not a formula. It's about who was at Zacchaeus' house, not what he did or what he said. It's just his presence that changes Zacchaeus. And just having Jesus in his home, the worst Jew the Jewish people could imagine, the king of the Jews, is in his home. And in a matter of hours, Zacchaeus is standing at the table and he says, if I have taken, if I have cheated anyone, and the answer to that, Zacchaeus, is you have cheated everyone. What do you mean anyone? You cheated everyone. He says, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And then I love this speech because it's not an effective speech because he negates himself. He says, I'm going to give half. And then he says, and then I'm going to give 400%. So is it half or 400%? It's just both. In other words, he's going to give everything away. Zacchaeus is going to go into debt to pay everybody back. I'll say it like this. One dinner with Jesus changes Zacchaeus' life 400%. 400%. Now listen. If there were better percentages by me telling you trees to climb, I would preach and teach that. But these kind of results only come from encountering the person of Jesus. See, I think your life can change 400%, but it won't change because I tell you the trees to climb. I could give you tools of what Chelsea and I do in our marriage. We've been married 22 years. I'm in love with her. I could tell you about the frequency of our sex life. I could tell you about our date nights. I could tell you about all of that. And you'd be like, wow, that's really interesting. But, but that, that, that's, not, that, 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 that's not the key to our marriage. It's Jesus. And I want to explain that to you. I want to explain that to you. Because in this story... And then the, one of the next sermons I'm going to do, we're going to go into the parable right after this story and, and, and because it, it has everything to do with this story as well. But today we'll just we'll stop here since I'm 38 minutes into my introduction. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's most of the sermons over by now. It's reasonably painless. I sound like my dentist. Oh, no, no. The worst is over. And then here comes the needle. Um. Right here in this story, we have what I think is the whole of Christianity. And I want to explain this to you. And it's between verses 11 and 12. I want to show you what Zacchaeus does. Because on day one, moment one, by the way, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, for he too is a son of Abraham. Now, son of Abraham, you're probably thinking, Abraham had many sons, many sons. You're like, oh, that's cute. But no, no, that was absolutely outrageous that Jesus said that because he's literally saying he is a true Jew. And they didn't believe he was anymore. Just like some people don't think you're a true Christian. But Jesus loves you. Maybe a lot of people have written you off. Maybe a lot of people said you, you don't belong in church. Maybe a lot of people said your lifestyle proves that you're not. Well, this is the right sermon for you because that was Zacchaeus. He was completely and utterly written off and disqualified by all of his people. And Jesus said, salvation's come to this house. He too is a son of Abraham. <laughs> and nobody was thrilled about that. Oh, by the way, Jesus was grumbled. It says everyone gossiped. 
What is Jesus doing going to the house of a sinner? I want to suggest something that if we're going to be the church that follows Jesus, we ought to be the church where other Christians say, I wouldn't go to that church because that church is okay with sinners. I promise you, that's going to be the church I pastor. See, on Wednesday, we had church in L.A., and I had a lot of my friends there, and they don't even know what they think about Jesus, but I tell you where they belong. They belong at church home. Like, if, 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 if we're going to get blogged about, let them blog about us the way they blogged about Jesus. Like, how dare you be friends with, insert whatever person or name you want, I'm in. Why? Because I am Zacchaeus. <laughs> I'm the person in the story that I'm like, is it okay if I still tell the church that I think it's wild that Jesus comes to my house? I think I've given Jesus plenty of reasons not to come to my house anymore. But he keeps turning up. He keeps showing up. And I just keep experiencing his love. But, but do, you see, do you see what happens? Do you see... I want to show you, in the simplest of terms, what Zacchaeus does, which is going to be the whole of your Christian journey. Here it is. But before I do, this is going to be an alliteration, which is effective communication. They're going to be all R's so that you can remember them. I'm going to tell you three things Christianity is not, and then I'm going to reveal to you through this story with Zacchaeus what it actually is. In other words, how Jesus works and grace works in your life. Here it is. Number one, here's what Christianity is not. Christianity is not resolving. In other words, Christianity is not a resolve. We're not here making a righteous resolve. We are not here under the idea that today you need to make a decision. Are, are you like me? Come on. I have done this so many times. I have done, particularly with carbs, I have made so many resolutions and resolves. I am done with carbs for six weeks. And it lasts me about six hours. No more sourdough toast. In the name of Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God, please let me no more chips and guac. Please, God. Please, God. Especially not after 10 p.m. That's when the pounds really pack on. You know, like whatever it is. Silliest little things we've all done, right? You might find this annoying, but like, I've definitely done multiple resolves with my Invisalign. Every night, I'm going to wear my Invisalign. And then I'm like, tonight's, I'm tired. It's midnight. I'll do it tomorrow. All right, and now I went to the dentist. They're like, you're grinding your teeth. I'm like, why? They're like, it must be stress. I'm like, no, I'm a gospel guy. I'm not stressed. And they're like, no, you are, sir. You're grinding your teeth. It's not good. I'm like, I am definitely 43. Like, and so now they're like, we need to get you a mouth guard. I'm like, I have Invisalign. It's not a problem which I never wear. I've used resolve for so many things. Now, some of you, you're really good with resolves because it's your personality. You think it's your spiritual state. It has nothing to do with your spiritual state or Jesus. It's just your personality. You're type A, you're a driven person, and when you make a decision, you, you stick to it. It's got nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It's just your personality. But I love preachers like me because preachers like me who are type A and really good with resolutions, they project upon the congregation that you too need to exercise self-control the way they do. And in reality, it's got nothing to do with the Holy Spirit in their life. It's just their personality. I mean, I'm just being honest. 
Because preachers like me are like, I remember the day I cut that out of my life. And you're like, well, bro, it's also your personality. I cut things out of my life and I want them more. (laughs) The moment I cut them out, I'm like, I've never wanted that more now because I cut it out of my life. And I'm like, come on over here, sourdough. Come on, buddy. (laughs) My old good friend, you never let me down. We're not here talking about a resolve. You know what I'm talking about, right? Let's draw a line. Come, this is good preaching, though. No, bear with me. This is good preaching. Let's draw a line in the sand this far and no farther. A righteous resolve is what we need today in this country. A righteous resolve is what we need for the young people and for the next generation. Let's draw a line in the sand and say this far, no farther, Satan. And we all go, yeah, yeah. And then we go to Chili's after church. And we don't leave a tip and we're mean to the waiter. Yeah, righteous resolve. We spend 35 minutes talking about the policies we believe in and government, and then we don't leave a tip and we're rude to people who work in the public marketplace. I'm kind of over that. You know what I've suggested now, right? I've been here 12 years. Like, if you're not going to leave a big tip today, if you have the privilege and the money to be able to go out to eat, and if you don't leave a big tip, please do not reference that either you're a Christian or that you go to this church, for goodness sake. Someone sent me a meme the other day, and it's like a lady in the church parking lot. She's like, church is over. Time to be really mean to people in the service industry. You know, like, we have a reputation of leaving tracks instead of money at TGI Fridays. Hey, I'll give you the true riches. This is one ticket to heaven, brother. You know, like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, this isn't about like resolve. This isn't about willpower. Isn't this about God's power? So Christianity isn't a result, but you know, Christianity also isn't resisting, resisting. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say no, that's what I'm going to do. And Nancy Reagan meant well, but it didn't work. Just say no. Everyone just, no. I love that. This is such a great, it still works though. It still gets airtime. We're still believing that the key is just say no to the devil. When he comes knocking, is that you, devil? I know it's you. How did you know? Was it the pitchfork? Was it the horns? Was it the red suit? How did you know? I just know you, devil. You get out of here with your bad stuff. No drugs or rock and roll in my house. And now our identity becomes the things we don't do. I don't, I don't do that. Why? I'm a believer. <sighs> You don't cuss, but you dishonor and gossip about your boss. Does anyone see a problem with it? It's like, you don't even know your neighbors, but you'll wash your kid's mouth out with soap if they use a cuss word. I'm just, you know, just your friendly local church pastor just making some suggestions about what faith really is. You know, you know, young people, we've got to say no to this. And I'll tell you right now, we've got to hold the line at PG-13. I, I got no problem with that. I grew up in a house. Like, my first rated R movie was when my dad wasn't looking. 
and it was Rambo. And I have no regrets about that, by the way. None whatsoever. Right? Like, I, I don't, I mean, it's probably a good thing that we don't watch a bunch of violence and content that's maybe not productive. I, I don't got any problem with that, but do, do you see how we've turned it into what we can say no to? No. 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 Right? And like, there are still churches that say no to drums. Like, this is still a thing in the world today. Like, we, we say no to drums. It's probably a good thing. I don't know. I haven't done study on drums, you know, but like, I don't, I don't know if that was the goal. I don't think Christianity is a resolve. I don't think it's a resistance. And certainly, number three, I don't think it's a, a reaction. I don't think it's reacting. Can I suggest to some of you, you, you've allowed yourself to become a reactor. You're just reacting. Now I'm 43 now and I got a little gray hair, so I've gotten a little bit more bold. You know this. So buckle your proverbial church seatbelts. Okay, but like um, we're fighting culture wars right now as Christians when we're called to win the culture. We're, we're not being winsome. We're being divisive on both sides of the political scale. We're, how did this happen? How did we become a part of a culture war? Do you know, historically, some of the finest times in church history was in gross, horrific plagues. These plagues in church history hundreds of years ago is when we see the church flourishing. And do you know why? Because when the plagues hit, the church wasn't deliberating the best way to not be affected. The church was busy caring for people who were sick. Now listen, I'm down for the mask. I'm down for no vaccine, for vaccine. You already know I got the vaccine and offended a lot of you, and I didn't mean to. I thought that was like going to be a really good thing, and then I announced it. And then people were like, bro, you can't tell anyone you got the vaccine. I was like, I didn't. I got it too soon, my bad. <laughs> Before I heard all the fodder, I didn't know. I just thought, like, I got it as a kid, and so then I would just get it again, and the church would be like, thanks, pastor, for protecting us. And then I was like, that wasn't what, how people, a lot of people felt. So anyways, a little bit confused, I admit, didn't, didn't see that one coming, but you know, historically the church, we went towards the plagues. You know that? Yeah. You can start playing because this is a good time. It's going to get emotional and I like it. <laughs> we did. We did. Um, in barrios all over the world, hundreds of years ago, um, whole whole people groups would leave and the church historically said we'll, we'll stay and the whole world it would get out that um, we opened up hospitals that was the church that was our idea that was our idea we were the ones saying we're going to open up a hospital where the plagues are and everybody else was like, let's get out of here. Get your kids. Let's get out of here. We got to get out of here. And the church was like, come on. Come on. 
And so Christians died alongside people who were plagued. And the world started talking about us. Do your history lesson. It, it's, it's not hard to find it. They started saying that these are peculiar people. These are odd people. They brought their families to the plague. And they're caring for people they don't know. And the church, look at church growth. One of the greatest surges in growth in church history was during three major plagues. I'm just putting it out there for you. I don't think reacting is the goal. Well, we need. Well, I. The problem is, you got a pastor who I don't believe in escapism. Now, I believe it like through Netflix momentarily, but then back to our regularly scheduled program. So I should, I should, I should denote that I do believe in escapism. You know, like James Bond. Thank you. All right, back to real life. You know, like. But like I, that's not, that's not how I see Jesus. I don't see Jesus when sicknesses and diseases break out. I don't see Jesus going, guys, Peter, James, John, get out of there. Let's go. Ah! He's walking towards people with the most contagious skin disease known to man called leprosy. And he says, come here. And the whole room stops and everybody goes, He's getting too close. Oh, he touched him. He touched him. In some cases, he would have touched lepers who hadn't been touched in years. Come on now, just for a moment. Let us, let us commiserate together just for a moment. We are in a plague. Where will we be found in these days? Will we hide in the hills? Or, we will, will, or will we find out where there is pain and where there is loss and where there is brokenness? See, I would like to predict prophetically that some of you are gonna pick up your whole family and you're gonna move where there is the most pain. And you know what's amazing about church home? We're not limited to buildings anymore. We're not limited to a live preacher anymore. You can download the app and you can practice your faith with this church wherever God leads you. 500 people are practicing with us in South Africa. We didn't know it until a few weeks ago. 555,000 unique individuals practice their faith in some form through our online content at Church Home last week. 96% of our church does not walk into a building to practice their faith anymore. Welcome to the new era of church. You're in it and you didn't even know it. Some are like, is that why it's only once a month? Yeah, because I'm sending you a message and I'm sending myself a message. My life will not be preaching in buildings and your life shouldn't, your whole Christian faith shouldn't be attending your favorite preacher in a building. It should be out where people are. We might as well sing like Ariel. I want to be where the people are. I want to be where they're singing and dancing. Like we got to. That definitely did not blend with the beautiful harmonious piano playing. 
It's really not that complicated, is it, when you think about it? So what, what, what is a Christianity if it's not a resolve, if it's not a resistance, and if it's not a reaction? What is it? Here it is. Are you ready? This is it. It's a responding. That's all it is. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to a close. Zacchaeus was sitting at his table and he was just, he had to be just watching Jesus. No one ever treated him with dignity like this. No Jewish man had ever looked at him like this since he was a boy. There was so much love. There was, his heart just started to fill. And finally, he stands up at his table and he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to give everything away. Wait, Zacchaeus, the law only requires 10%. You just said you're going to give 400%. And I love you, church home, but do you know how many people criticize me for preaching grace because they think I'm promoting sin? But in reality, you know what I'm promoting? Instead of 10% change, I'm promoting 400% change. That's what I'm interested in. Supernatural change. Grace! Oh, you forget about the Ten Commandments. And you open up your heart and you just start responding. See, 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 this is the goal. This is the goal. Watch him love you and respond. Watch him forgive you, now respond. Look into his eyes, now respond. Now respond to your spouse. Now respond to your kids. Look into the eyes that forgave you. Look into the eyes. Look in the long-suffering eyes of Jesus who didn't give up on you in the 60s. He didn't give up on you in the 70s. Don't you give up on your teenager. Respond. Freely you have received. Now freely give to your children the forgiveness, the love, and the acceptance that Jesus gave you, now give it to your children. Now give it to your spouse. Now give it to your neighbor. Now give it to your coworker. Now give it to your maniacal boss who's constantly degrading you, but give it, respond to Jesus. Respond. Look, look, look I'm done, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to an end. Look at, um, look at uh, uh, John. John, John chapter six and verse 29. Look at this. Jesus answered them. They said, we want to do the work of God. We want to do the work of God. We want to climb trees. Tell us what trees to climb. We want to, we want to be tree climbers. Tell us what our flesh can do. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to be a part of your physical, tangible manifest army. We want to overthrow Rome. This is going to be incredible. We want to do the works of God. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Wait, what? The whole work I want you to do is respond to what I've done. Respond to who I am. Now just respond. You think you need a preacher to tell you the seven keys to a successful marriage, but I'd like to suggest what you need is to receive the forgiveness and acceptance and love of Jesus. Now, 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 now look at your spouse and ask yourself, 
can I forgive them? Now look at that teenager who you would like to send into eternity early. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Jesus, take, don't just take the wheel, take my children. Your heavenly Father, has he not been so gracious with you? Is he not wonderful? And think about how many times he should have gave up on you, but he didn't. And I know that you're dad now, and I know that you're mom now, and I know that you try your best to really be put together because maybe your parents weren't put together and you thought if I could be put together and if I could be more consistent, if I could be better, then maybe my kids will turn out better than me. But if you're really honest, the reason you're even here is not because of a mom or a dad. It's because of him. I just think Jesus is the great parenting tool of the ages. I look at my kids through the lens of how Jesus looks at me, and I think, it's going to be okay, son. I love you. Baby girl, I'm so proud of you. Guys, I am literally not well. I am talking to my puppy like he's an eternal soul, okay? Like this has gone, the gospel is getting exaggerated in my family. I'm telling my little puppy, Louie, I'm like, we are so grateful that you're our puppy. You were sent to us as a gift from God. And he's looking at me like, can I eat now, bro? And I like, I'm telling him like, you need to accept Jesus, Louie. But I, I just, how bad is it, man? How bad is it? Have you looked full into his wonderful face? Have you let the things of this world grow dim? Have you realized that this is a vapor and we're not home? Now just respond. Just respond. What is it? Respond. What do you mean? Just listen. Listen, I'll read one more passage. I'm done. John, uh, or is it John or is it? I forget. Romans, I knew that. Romans 12. Look at this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Listen to this. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Do you know what this culture is full of? It's full of resolving, resisting, reacting. And if we're not careful, we've joined the masses. And Jesus is like, I got a better way, son. I got a better way, daughter. Let me sit at your table for a little while and just watch me. And I thank God that Dr. Luke didn't give us anything between verses 11 and 12. Because when he sits at your table, it'll be unique to you and Jesus. 
Did you know preachers don't like this stuff because they feel like it, it gets a little out of control? But do you know that your relationship with Jesus is uniquely your relationship and it's unlike any other relationship he has with any other person in human history? The way he connects with you is unique to you. There are similarities, of course. There are tenets of the faith. There are absolutes. There's good doctrine. But do you know the spirit of Jesus that's in and around your life? He wired you and made you. Maybe you're a creative. Maybe you're a concrete sequential. Maybe you're a mathematician. Maybe you see in shapes and colors and animals like me. You can imagine what this brain is like. It's manic, it's all over the place, but God just speaks to me. Some of you, he speaks to you in visions and dreams. Some of you, he reminds you of scripture. Some of you, he speaks to you in friends and circumstances, and God is just, and he's just welcoming you back to the table to say, watch me, son, watch me. Now, 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 respond. Oh, some of you have been so busy trying to do all of the categories of your life right and how anxious and how exhausted and how overwhelmed you are you're just like Martha in the kitchen and Jesus wants us to be like Mary in the living room he wants us just to sit and just consider how wonderful he is now, 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 respond to your finances. Some of you are so worried about money and what you need to do is watch Jesus at your table for a little bit today and then go back to your money and go, I'm not worried about you. I don't love you, I love him. I don't serve you, you serve me money and I serve Jesus. And I will not forfeit what I know to be true about the universe and my God for you. I'm not a greedy person. I'm a godly person because I'm in love with Jesus. Respond. 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 I am so tired of resolving, resisting, and reacting. I don't even know if I'm up for, I, I, I don't, I just don't, I'm not that disciplined. But I'll tell you what I can do when I see Jesus and I see him a lot when we're together, you know? When we get together, even in real time, I don't have notes. And one of the reasons I don't have notes anymore is because I'm tired of preaching even from notes. I'm 43, I study the Bible every day. I have a relationship with Jesus. He speaks to me, I study the original languages and I understand hermeneutics and interpretation. But by the time I get up here to be with you, it is about time that I just let the overflow of my relationship with Jesus pour into moments like these. This is real life, man, these aren't speeches. I'm not up here just trying to motivate you. I am telling you, he's here. He's here. He's here right now. He will watch over you when you sleep tonight. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. And every time you sleep, you are reminded there is one who does not need to sleep. And he will watch over me and keep me. And he will keep all those things concerning you. He is the great shepherd who never sleeps while the sheep rest. He guards and he keeps what is his. He is your father. 
and he's watching over you. He has never left you. He is never far from you. You are not far from God. He is close to you like your next breath. When man became a living being, it's only when he shared the breath of God. Your oxygen in and of itself is a testimony of God's partnership in your existence. Every time you breathe in, this is not a yoga practice. This belongs to God. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. I live on borrowed breath. With the genius of the ages, God, I'm his son, and he is near to me, and my whole life is a response to him. Some of you, you're going to be kind like you've never been kind, and you're not even going to try to be kind. You're just going to respond. Some of you, your spouse is going to be like, what happened to you? Did you read one of those good marriage books? How long is this going to last? Are you like me? I get a really cool practice or thought, and I do it for about one and a half days. And Chelsea's like, this is cool. Oh, it's over. We have done family devotions with my kids so many different times in so many different ways that now it's just like my dad. God bless you, dad. You know it's true. But dad would be like, we're going to start family devotions. And it was like the 17th reboot of family devotions for the Smith family. I've done so many times. All right, family devotions at night. Our latest iteration is we're going to do family devotions at night. It's happened once. Because I'm like, oh, I'm tired. Maybe we could watch like Sports Center or something. But you know what's changed my life? You know what's changed my life? Let us consider together the height, the width, the length, and the depth of his love for us. Let us relish. I got on a FaceTime this morning from the airport with a friend of mine, and we just started talking about how wonderful Jesus is and a birthday party last night. And I was like, bro, I can't believe this is our life. What a privilege. What an honor. And every day begins to shape, take shape. And the shape of every day lately for me is gratitude. Renowned, like I'm just wowed by God. I'm alive again. It's another day. A friend last night at this party had way too many drinks. And she looked at my wife and I, and she goes, and she used language I can't use in church. And she goes, you got me rethinking everything. And she's never listened to my sermons. But she goes, you got me rethinking everything. And it's got nothing to do with me. I just wake up, I'm going, God, how can I not respond to what you're doing? I don't want to miss the miracle of another day. The miracle of the moment you have. We're here together. What a privilege. What an honor. We're alive at the same time in history because we were meant to be. We were meant to be in a community of faith together. We were meant to be on mission together. So I make no apologies for disrupting our regularly scheduled program, nor to the board of elders in this church. Because people are dying in the streets, and that's where we're called. And I think it's an honor, and I think it's a privilege. And so one of my prayers lately, and I'm done, I'm done. The band's going to come out so that I'll stop. I'm done. I've only been preaching for but a few moments. I've been praying things. Take families and church home and send them to the world, God. Send them to the world.
the world, send us wherever you need to send us, where people are hurting and dying and broken. And I know that your kids need a good school. And I know that you need some, you know, some rhythm and some repetition. And so as many of you, you are called, most of us are called just to stay right in Seattle. And that's awesome. I love this city. But some of you, God's calling you to the ends of the earth. And it will change the course of your children's life. I think it's another moment in history. I think it's another plague. I think it's another difficult time. And I think it's time for the Jesus followers to respond and say, we're here while the whole world stands back and go, why have you not escaped with everyone else? Because people, not our career and comfort, people are the most important thing in the world other than God himself. People. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, the band's here. Now I gotta be done. Do you know I this is the weird stuff I come across. Do you know if you harvest every organ and all the minerals in your body, do you know that your body, your total, is worth $45 million? Did you know that? If you sell all your organs and everything, obviously you wouldn't be alive anymore. You're like, wait, 45 million? How do I do that? No, you wouldn't be alive. So that's you know, bad news, I know. Although, how much would my appendix have got? Anyways, and how valuable you are. You're so valuable, church. I love you so much. I'm not doing once a month sermons because I don't love this and wish we could do this every day. I'm my father's son. There were Sundays I would do eight sermons in six locations in this city. I'm down. I love this city. The Seahawks are the only football team that matters. I'm with you, but I spend time at the table with Jesus and something inside of me compels me. We got to go to the highways and the byways. We got to take our babies with us. We got to show them the higher ways of Jesus, the ways of love of mercy and care and empathy and compassion. I know so many of us, we want to raise the standard. So do I. I want to raise the standard of love. That's who Jesus is. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. and Thank you so much for what you're doing on earth. And we'll admit there are some things going on in our country, in other countries that are so hurtful and so painful, and frankly, way beyond our understanding. But I am asking in these minutes, literally while we sing and we use music, pull up a chair at the table of every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. And what you did for Zacchaeus, do for us. Help us look into the eyes that burn with a fire, unending and unconditional passion and love for your children. Oh God, open up our hearts and open up our eyes to push back to push past custom and tradition and ritual and connect with you, the Spirit of God.
God, you're in this place. And you are real. You are more real than our next breath. And we honor you in this church. You are the most precious thing. The most precious person at church home. And we love you. And I want to say on behalf of all of the elders and all the leaders and all the staff and all the members and all the wonderful, beautiful families that make up church home, it is our honor to serve at your leisure. Lest we have forgotten what we are doing here, it is our honor to worship you. I love worshiping you, for you are worthy. You are the only one worthy. God, I pray for our church today that we would hurry and come down from all of the trees we are attempting to climb to make up the shortage in our own soul. And we step back now and we watch you climb the tree again. And we hear your words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we don't know what we're doing, God. We don't. We so complicate this life. It gets so colluded and so fuzzy. We make it about formulas and it's always been about you. Open up our eyes to see you, the great tree climber of the ages. Crucified, dead and risen again. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If you're here and you would like to receive the free forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I want to remind you that your whole work is simply to believe, is to receive. You don't earn it, deserve it, warrant it. If you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. You know who you are. You might be watching right now online. You might be in this very room, but I believe when you respond on the outside to what you know is actually happening on the inside, it just becomes more real to you. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, shoot up your hand all over this room, online, wherever you are. Thank you for those hands. God, I thank you that forgiveness flows freely at church home. Whom the Son has forgiven, whom the Son sets free, is forgiven and free completely and all the way. We thank you for that. And I just declare one more time over this church before we start using melody and harmony and music as a connection point, I declare over church home, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. It is not by striving or stressing or worrying or fearing. I pray that over your marriage. I pray that over your children. I pray that over your grandchildren. He will keep, he will keep and watch over all that concerns you. He will build your house. He will care for you like a father. He is your good shepherd. He is your provider and he is your protector. He is your rear guard. He's the one that goes before you and he is the one that is behind you. He is the one that prepares a way. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. God is guiding you and God is leading you. You are not alone. This is not up to you. This is not up to your wit or your smarts or your wisdom. This is by the strength 